You're listening to Movie Homework, brought to you by the Binge Media Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Binge.net, but uh, this episode might be elsewhere as well. Uh, I'm Jack. I'm joined today by somebody who's not my normal co-host. Uh, Chad is not around, and so in his stead, uh, I have decided to bring along the one, the only master of the horror returns, uh, Lance from Texas. What's up, Lance? Hey, man. Uh, appreciate it, dude. We, we've been talking about this for a while. As a matter of fact, I think when I got out of the theater checking out Bo is Afraid, I texted you that this movie reminds me of another movie yeah. in certain spots, and you, I think you agreed right away. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, so we're talking about Bo is Afraid today, and uh, we're going to get into it. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode than we normally do. Obviously, we always do the superlatives and all that stuff, but uh, we're going to go in a different direction, because this, uh, this is an interesting movie. I think it's worth talking about, um, and this episode is going to get spoilery. Movie homework always does. And we don't always do a recent release, so make sure that if you don't want to be spoiled, you don't listen to this episode any further, because we are probably going to dip pretty heavily into that throughout here. But uh, but as always, um, let's just start off the top, we'll play a little bit of the trailer, and we'll go from there. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Welcome back. I hit you with my car. What? I know. What was this? That's my little assistant health monitor. Feeling sad about going home, Bo? Must feel totally unreal. I'm supposed to be leaving. I don't know if that's gonna happen. Crazy trailer. Crazy trailer. Um, all right, so 2023's Bo is Afraid, Ari Aster. Uh, you know, on the movie homework feed, we have talked about Ari Aster once already with Midsommar a few weeks back. Uh, that was a good conversation. And yeah, Ari Aster is just, uh, he's kind of one of my guys. Anytime a movie's coming out by him, I'm I'm gonna be interested in seeing it. But Lance, what's your uh, what's your relationship with Aster movies? He's three for three, He's easily, man. And mm-hmm. and on set as usual on second watch, I got so much more out of Bo is Afraid than on the first watch where I saw it in the theater. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, nowhere but up, man. Um, so let's see. I started out with uh, Hereditary. That was all, all three of us on the horror returns. That was our favorite film of that year, which is which is rare, because usually I'm a little bit more of the sci-fi vent. Mm. Uh, Brian is a little bit more. He likes the gore, you know. He likes the gore, like the old school type horror movies. Sure. And Philip Phillips is is the fucking wild card, dude. You never know what this guy's gonna like, because just when you think he likes everything, he'll give a, he'll give like a negative one to something, and it's like, <laughs> what the fuck is up with this guy? But uh, 
Yeah, man, this this might have been our first. Actually, I think Hereditary was our first, where all three of us picked it as our favorite film of the year. Um, Midsommar was my favorite film of that year, not so much with the guys. And, mm. um, you know, the year the year's uh, list is still to come out, but Bo, Bo is Afraid is going to be on there, man. There's, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to say he's the new Kubrick yet, but, uh, or, you know, up there with David Fincher or somebody like that, as we were talking about before the show. But uh, guy's got a guy's got a bright future, man. Can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, I think so. You know, in our midsummer episode, midsummer episode that Chad and I recorded, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit. And one of the criticisms that gets thrown his way a lot is the fact that he makes movies that are reworks of other stories. So the idea being that Hereditary is his version of Rosemary's Baby. Um, Midsommar is his version of The Wicker Man. But was afraid is his version of uh, something we'll talk about a little later on. But um, that is an interesting way to, uh, I don't know, kind of attack uh, dealing with Astor's work. But I think he, I'll say the same thing I said in the other episode, I think he's original enough and he brings enough to the table where he's doing his own thing. Um, there's some similarities with those stories, but in my opinion, not enough to be anything more than a sort of, uh, you know, flattering imitation. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's trying to reinvent the wheel with any of those, but, um, well, yeah, so Bo's Afraid, Joaquin Phoenix is Bo, and this movie is, like a lot of other movies in the last year, three hours long. Um, now, oh, yes, it's been a very yeah. good year for long movies after post-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Now, some of those movies, I think, justified their run times, and others, um, I'm not so sure they did. Um, <laughs> Bo's Afraid is is really an interesting movie to me because it's got, right from the outset, you know that you're in a, a just crazy other world. It's not reality. It's, like, hyper real, you know? Um, the fact that there's a guy running around on the street just butt-ass naked murdering people on the 6 o'clock news should tell you everything you need to know. Like, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, but Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he's... He, obviously, Joker finally got him an Oscar. I think the guy has been great for pretty much his whole career. Um, sure. Are you a, are you even, a Joaquin even guy? When he, even when he had us on, right? And, and said he True. was a rapper and exactly. no longer an actor. <laughs> that exactly. was great. Yeah, I mean that. Even that, I think, is hilarious because I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lover of like crazy documentaries, and that's definitely a crazy one. But no doubt, um, no but doubt. Yeah. I, I loved him. In, I loved him in Gladiator, Jack. Um, I thought that he was to to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, Gladiator had a lot of great, you know, great performances in it, up to and including skinny Russell Crowe, as True. opposed to what we get now, which is, of course, you know, proud fat Russell Crowe. Yeah, we'll call him beefcake, you know. <laughs> No, I, I thought I thought he had one of the best performances in the in the film because I hated him so fucking much. I agree. And any time somebody can give you that much of a visceral feeling, that's that's acting. I, I mean, I love those performances that are that just make like you said, just make you fucking hate somebody. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is Commodus, and Gladiator is one of those. Uh, Sharon Stone is Ginger in Casino is another one where it's just. Mm -hmm. She is such a mega bitch, but she's Absolutely. so good at it. You got to give her credit. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I think he's one of the the better actors working these days. Um, he's he makes a lot of interesting choices. I'm excited for his forthcoming Napoleon movie. You know, another Ridley Scott flick that, oh, that bodes right. pretty well. That's right. You know, 
and I think in this he is just he makes some really interesting choices, man. You know, he starts out he's he, I don't know how old do you think he is? Late forties, somewhere in there, early fifties. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to tell. He could be a relatively young man, like even yeah. late thirties, but just early balding. Right. From all the right. from all the anxiety and all the guilt yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, or he could be fifty five, or yeah. he could be anywhere in between. That's what's kind of cool about it, and. You definitely see him at some several other ages in this movie, which True. I think is a, a great choice to do True. that. True. Um, one thing that I kind of felt cheated on a little bit, Jack, was I wanted more flashbacks to what made him what he is. Now, with the wall, you get... To, uh, uh, it, am I allowed to say that yet? Well, it counts out of the bag now. We're to, we're, we're, we are right. going to be talking about that a little bit here. So. Okay, so in Pink Floyd, The Wall, you've got several flashback scenes, right? Sure. Where young yeah. Pink is, is, is young Pink. But um, I, 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 did, I did certainly appreciate the scene on the cruise ship where he met the young lady that uh, mm. will come into play later in the movie as well. But I certainly would have appreciated more flashback scenes. Now, we did get a director's cut of Midsommar. It, it added about 40 minutes. Was it really that necessary? As per what you and Chad said, I agree with you. It really wasn't. A lot of that mm. stuff, yeah, some of the character development with Christian and, you know, the throwing the kid in the water with the rocks on him but then pulling them out and they're still alive. Eh, we didn't need that. But now this movie, this movie I think would really benefit from more youth flashbacks. I want to see more of his relationship with his mother. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be interested. And, and, you know, one of the things that... I, there's so many little details in this movie that I find hilarious and interesting and kind of strange. Uh, one of which, it, again, this is spoilers for Bo is Afraid, but uh, I don't know, maybe my favorite cameo of the year, Bill Hader is the UPS delivery man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I knew I recognized his voice on the phone, and then did when you? it shows... See, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I, I recognized Richard Kind's voice immediately. Of course, of course. <laughs> Impossible not to, but... Okay. Uh, but yeah, Bill Hader shows up. Mark Duplass shows up as, I think he was a bumblebee or a butterfly, one or the other at the oh, play. Oh, in, in the play, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he pops up. But yeah, it's just a really interesting kind of... Uh, I don't want to call it a meandering movie it feels like a like a metaphysical i don't know journey into the mind or something you know because it, it's so it's, it's basically a five-act structure starts yeah. out in bows I, I love the way that i'm sorry to interrupt yeah you know, i love the way the scream i'm pretty passionate about this movie because yeah. i just rewatched it again a couple of nights ago so it's fresh in my mind but yeah. i absolutely love the way the screen goes to total black and I mean, long enough to make you a little uncomfortable. Like, is the movie over? Are we going to get right. more? You know, kind of like Barbarian did at the scene sure. where the crazy woman came out at the end in the hallway. Yeah. And you're like, is that the end of the movie? Should we get up? Should we right. go get right. popcorn? You know, um, but step? I love the way they did that, man. Um, yeah, you're right. Five acts. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. It's, uh, it's where we're, we're breaking this thing down, you know, but, you know, a, a lot of great, uh, you know, guest performances by Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, I thought was really funny. In this. Oh, yeah. And, and there's there's another, uh, the, the guy living on their property, his name's Dennis Minache. Um, yes, I've seen you, him before. Yeah, he, well, he was the dairy farmer in Inglorious Bastards at the beginning. He's oh, a very well-known French actor, actually, yeah. Um, okay. But, you know, he, he, he's he's uh, looking a little Russell Crowish himself in this movie, but, but uh, still a good actor, still a good actor. 
And um, yeah, there, there's just... I, the best way I can describe this movie is you're either going to really enjoy watching somebody get slowly tortured for three hours, or you're not. Like, you're either going to find that funny and maybe a little empathetic, or you're not going to be able to deal with it and you're going to have to shut it off an hour in. And I don't think there's a middle ground. You know, I think you're either on board or you're not with this movie. Um, you know, because there's no, there's no logical explanation for, I think, anything that's going on in the flick. Like, it's, I, I really think it is just you're, you're stepping inside the mind of somebody who is riddled with anxiety and, like... Oh, absolutely. ...maternal guilt for just existing, you know? And, and everything is just, like, a, the, the whole world around him is completely oppressive and difficult and terrible to him. Um, it just it makes me laugh. The, the, whole, so the whole thing makes me laugh with, like, morbid laughter, you know? You're you're saying unreliable narrator is a is 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 a calm way to describe this movie. It, yeah, it, you know, it might be that. It might also just be your. It, it could be incredibly reliable narrator. You know, like it, okay. it, from his perspective, his whole world could be skewed so heavily that like these are the things he's experiencing, and and you know, his psychologist is it turns out is like working against him. Um, what he thinks that, about that his mother, trip, yeah, like what he thinks about his mother being alive or dead is working against him. Um, sure. The one girl that he had feelings for when he was a kid finally meets her, sleeps with her, and of course she just fucking dies. <laughs> with the, like, and but then his mother is watching. He, did, like, survived. he didn't have the heart attack. Like his true. father and his father's father and his exactly. father's 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 all dead. Exactly. You know? And and you know just the. The whole concept of the play and him sort of projecting what his life would look like and... Had he been allowed to live it. Yeah, stepping through that for 20 to 25 minutes to then revert and be like, nope, that's not what happens and it's just all just a play. (laughs) is like, what the fuck, man? But I don't know. what. So I've, I've been doing a lot of talking here, but you said you were really passionate about this movie. Is there something specific that connected with you on this or or is it more just it's it's a wild ride and you're you're kind of here for it okay let, let's let's take let's take the opening sequence well the the ab, absolute opening sequence you don't know what's going on until you figure out that he's literally being born yeah which is kind of an odd way to start a movie right a little bit but then you go to him and he's in this incredibly um okay so he's in a part in an apartment complex that's to call it an institutionalized-looking setting is a is an understatement, right? For sure. Okay, so like basically, uh, just picture the worst possible apartment complex in communist Russia, yeah, but then exactly. overrun by hood, but overrun by hoodlums, right? Yep. And yep. and that's where he lives. And I see, I compared that to the beginning of the wall, where it's yeah. in the you're in the hallways of the of the hotel that he's staying at. The lady's got the vacuum cleaner going. And super institutionalized. So that was the first big similarity that I mm. saw between the two movies. And those were both in the very beginning part of the, the film. And so that first that first sequence where he's, you know, he's fighting with himself. You know he doesn't want to see his mother. There's no fucking way that he wants to see her. He wants to live his own life. In the back of his mind, he's got all of these dreams. I could have done this. I could have been this. I could have had this family. I could have found a woman to fall in love with, but mother smothered me and mother convinced me that if I have sex for the very first time, I'm going to have a heart attack and die immediately. 
Yeah. And that's just very similar to the mother in the wall. So we'll get into that Absolutely. as well. But uh, no, that, that, that first 30, 40 minutes of this movie is just an exercise in just anxiety to the nth degree. And we'll, we'll get into it later. I, I don't want to talk about it quite yet, but I don't, don't let me forget that I do want to talk about how much we've relied on medications, things like that, and escapism sure. to get away from our anxiety. I have a pretty strong theory, Jack, that, um, and, and, and this, is, this kind of compares to The Wall, too, because you've got his father died in World War II, and that was pretty obvious from the storyline. And, you know, the, the gun was left behind that, yeah, <laughs> we know what happened. We saw the beginning right. part of the wall. Uh, just the hell of war and, you know, wanting to just get out of it any way you, you possibly can. Of course. Yeah. So I've got a strong theory, Jack, that we have gotten to the point in this. In, I don't know if it's just in the U.S. Maybe some of our, you know, listeners in Canada and other parts of the world, Europe, can tell us whether it's the same way there or not. But we have gotten so incredibly soft. And we have gotten so incredibly safe and secure, whether we really are or we think we are, that we I think we've all gotten to the point where we have to create our own monsters. We have to create our own war. Look, dude, we don't have tigers chasing us down trying to eat us anymore or bears like we did, you know, even just 100 years ago, right? Hmm. We don't have, you know, uh, displaced Native Americans trying to kill us as we're going west anymore like we did 100 years ago so i think we all create our own monsters and our own anxiety now and in many ways it's worse and then now we've got these doctors that have these miracle drugs you know xanax lithium you know you name it and we'll get into the paint drinking later because i've got some theories about that as well but uh yeah, no, I mean, just think about it, man. He's he, he, This guy's in a situation where things probably aren't really as bad as he thinks they are, but mm. just because he's so incredibly anxious, he thinks every single person out on the street is trying to get him, trying to break into his apartment, trying to take what little bit he has. Um, I Shit, I don't know what's going on with that fucking note about you're playing your bass too loud. Maybe you can explain that to me, but... Yeah, no, this first 40 minutes yeah. was complete fucking insanity, Jack. It was, in some ways, my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people agree with you in the in the opening section, especially. You know, I, I, I saw so many reviews for this movie where people said, yeah, I loved the first act, and then it sort of just got worse from there for a lot of folks. Um, and I can kind of understand that because the first act is hilarious and i think that kind of bleeds into the second act too there's a lot of funny stuff in there but the movie definitely moves in different directions i think it is still pretty darkly hilarious at times but it gets less funny as it goes and becomes less of a okay less, okay. less of an open farce and more of like a like a metaphysical journey you know that that it, it just sort of the narrative shifts into I think being more a reflection of, of what Bo is feeling in inside of his mind and just the, okay. like the, the world around him is, is an external version of what he sees in his head. Um, but it, you know, it's interesting your point about there not being challenges or, or not being real dangers to contend with. It's a really interesting theory. I've heard it put forward on, on, you know, different podcasts and, and, you know, written in different books over the years. I think there's definitely something to it. I think that there've been a lot of movies that have dealt with this. And I think one of them that comes to mind immediately is Fight Club. You know, 
It, that whole speech ah, about we are the middle children of history, we have no great war, our great war is ourselves, all that stuff. I mean, it's speaking directly to what you're talking about there. Where Speaking of Fincher, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and you end up in a prison of your own mind. And how difficult is that to, to escape from, right? If you don't have the self-awareness to rise above that, I, I mean, I can't imagine what that must be like for somebody who has a legitimate psychological problem, you know? Um, and while Bo is a funny character to watch, he's also a really kind of uh, depressing one for, I think, a certain kind of person, you know? Um, he ultimately succumbs to whatever his mental illness is, and... Uh, you know, it, it, it culminates in him, like you said, in one scene, drinking some paint. Uh, in another scene, imagining a life where he could have actually lived it and yeah. been somebody and not just be the, you know, version of himself that's probably the, his, his least favorite version of what he wa would have wanted to be, you know. Um, and his story ends in the most brutal way possible with being judged uh by the person in his life who sort of uh, crippled his emotions to begin with. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than that, you know? <laughs> um, pretty pretty dark. <laughs> pretty it's dark pretty story. dark, but I say it with a smile on my face because it's also pretty yeah. fucking funny. Like, the way it's presented here is funny, you know? Um, so, yeah, I just think this movie is so rich with, with, like, metaphors and meaning. I've seen it twice, I know I'm going to watch it again, and it's the kind of movie that I think the longer, the more distance we have from it, I really see this being the kind of movie that pops up in, say, the Criterion Collection in a couple of years, and people will write essays about, and, you know, maybe maybe 15 years from now, Astor has his version of a movie like The Whale, where he gets a bunch of Oscars for it, right? And he's, like, mm -hmm. recognized as sure. this great filmmaker, and then people will look back and be like, oh, you know, that Bo is afraid. It was a little weird, but man, that was that's his magnum had, opus kind of thing. You had know, a lot like the, to say. the reevaluation, right? Like that always sure. happens. But well yeah. Um kind like, so, so, kind of like Aronofsky's mother, right? Where everybody it, was walking exactly. out and giving it was like a, a fucking twenty score. Exactly. Audience score, right? Everybody fucking hated it. What the fuck did I just see? That was garbage. Right. You know, right. but I mean, I loved it. AJ and I loved it. We came out of that movie. We went to, after we saw Mother, we went and had, uh, we had a brunch and it turned into a two and a half hour brunch because we kept talking about the movie. Yeah. And so this is one that she watched with me as well. And I was like, I don't know how my wife's going to react to this movie. Because um, she said, well, she said, oh, it's Ari Oster, huh? And I said, yeah, it's Ari Oster. And she said, well, you've already told me because of my fear of demons not to watch Hereditary. So what is Bo afraid of, Lance? Is he afraid of demons? Is it going to be demons? Could it be Satan that comes out when we're watching this movie? And I'm like, no, it's not that kind of movie. Give it a chance. Yeah. Jack, she was fucking riveted. She yeah. could not. It's a three-hour movie. We started it at like 10 p.m. I mm. thought, okay, we'll watch half tonight. We'll watch the second half tomorrow. I yeah. kept trying to turn the movie off. She's like, no, I want to see what's going to happen next. She That's fucking awesome. loved it. She was mesmerized, man. But one thing I noticed, there were a lot of scenes where I just fucking started laughing my ass off. Yeah. And she turned and looked at me. She said, what are you laughing at? That's not funny what he's going through. That's yeah. not humorous. He's going through hell right now. Why are you laughing? And I'm like, give it a second watch. Maybe yeah. you'll laugh. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that whole fr- that that uh, that expression, boiling the frog, right? right. That's basically what this movie is. <laughs> I love it. That's a great analogy, man. And it it especially makes sense because he ends up in the water up. at the end, yeah. right? So, oh yeah, lots of water, lots of water in the wall. As a matter of right. fact, too. Right. So yeah, so maybe this is as good a time as any. So you've alluded to it a couple of times, but so Bo is afraid walking out of the theater. My first mm-hmm. thought. And I was, you know, Meg and I saw it. We saw it with with two other couples. We get out of the theater. We're in the lobby. We're talking about the movie. We're all just walking out of the theater laughing, you know, like, oh, man, that movie was great, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And as we're going home, I think Meg was driving, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and it occurs to me, and I'm just like, oh, my God, that ending reminded me a lot of The Wall. And then the more, a lot. <laughs> the more I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, so some different things happen, and it's a different character, and the circumstances are a little different, but... It's, it's modernized. It's modernized. Exactly. Right? It's the same sort of, like, alienated, anxiety-riddled character. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a female companion that is, you know, kind of brushed aside in a similar way, we'll say, in the wall. Um, mm-hmm. The trial at the end of the wall is incredibly similar to the end of Bo is Afraid. Almost scene for scene, I would I would argue, Jack. I, I mean, the only difference here is that Bo is Afraid isn't a musical, but if it was, I, I have to think it would sound a lot like The Trial, you know? Um, the, the evidence difference... before the court is incontrovertible. Well, the only difference being that the wall has a positive ending, you know? <laughs> where, where they finally get outside the wall and maybe there's some hope. But I was afraid well, there, no is hope. A, there is an explosion. In all fairness, there's an explosion at the end of this one too. It's true. It's true. But <laughs> it's just not the wall that blows. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the 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 whole scene in the attic when that happened, I just knew that this oh, movie sure. was way way over the uh, way over the line. But again, the imagery of like the giant penis in the attic, mm-hmm. I immediately said to myself, "Oh my! Like it's the it's." It's Gerald Scarf paintings. It's the wall. Like mm-hmm. it all, there were so many illusions. So, outside of those couple things we, you mentioned before, and the things I said, did you pick up on any other references that you wanted to kind of like hash out? I did. I did. Yeah. Like like I said early on, like that first sequence, it's very institutionalized. Okay. So yeah. you're not in a comfortable, comfy home. He's in an incredibly uncomfortable, shitty apartment. That we find out later his mother paid for yep. to keep him there. Because we see the pictures when he's walking around after her death. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, in the in, in the beginning of the wall, you've got him in the hotel, you know. And then you've got, there's a lot of, um, a lot of fear of others. Yeah. So when you, okay, how do I describe this? So it's not quite the same because, yes, obviously Bob Geldof's character is a, is a, is a mega rock star. Sure. So the reason that people are tearing down the gates and bursting through and coming toward him in droves mm. may or may not be the same reason that people are doing that same exact thing to Bo. But, dude, the concept is fucking spot on. Exactly. Okay? So you've got a metal gate that the fans are literally knocking down to get through, to get a piece of Bob Geldof. And then when you're in Bo's Afraid... You've got all the crazy street people that are out there that are literally bursting into his apartment and breaking the glass to get a piece of Bo. So you can't argue with that. 
you've got lots of water. So when Bo is afraid, he's laying in a bathtub, and he looks up, and you get the poster <laughs> earlier of the brown, brown recluse spider somewhere in the building. Don't let right. it bite you. Right. The dude is up there literally barely holding on with sweat pouring off of him into the into the tub and you see the brown recluse <laughs> and then oh, the guy falls on top of bow man yeah. and that was one of the most funniest fucking moments i've ever seen oh, yeah. where you've yeah. got a fucking naked with incredibly huge balls yes <laughs> yes as we're gonna learn later the medical reason for that courtesy of nathan lane <laughs> um but potentially cancerous nuts right right <laughs> And, um, yeah, so you got the water floating there, and then you got Bob Geldof in the wall floating in the pool. The first time he's just floating in there by himself, the second time was after he grabbed the glass and broke his, or cut his hand, and right. you've got the Jesus motif, right, where his yes, arms are yes, out. So, absolutely. Um, okay, and then at the beginning of the wall, you've got the mother sitting there on a park bench, and you see the baby carriage in the distance. Like, she's there, but she's not really there. Because right. the baby carriage is a good 20 or 30 feet away from her. And she's just so self-absorbed on the park bench. And that really hit me. So that was a couple of things that I, you know, kind of noticed early on. What about you? So, I, yeah, there, there, were, there was one thing in particular that I, I was trying to make a connection on. And I wanted to, wanted to bring it up because I wasn't sure how, I wasn't sure if I was expecting explaining it correctly in my own mind but so i was trying to look at other characters right and see if there were any allusions like direct allusions to the wall movie and in the movie bob hoskins shows up right and he's a he's like a tour manager for pink i think he's supposed to be his band manager oh um, yeah sure sure eating all the food like a savage right. and just like enjoying right. the the the, <laughs> the what do you call them the um ah shit i can't think of the word from the i guess the groupies right that oh, of course. come through yeah. and uh, do whatever they have to do to get backstage. And That's right. That's right. Um, um, so, in a sense, his character is a leech, right? He's kind of leeching off of Pink. Um, you know, point. bands Absolutely. need managers, but, you know, it, it looks like maybe he's, uh, he's, he's getting fat and sassy off of Pink's hard work a little bit there, right? So, I was trying to think, is there an analog to that in Bo is Afraid? And... I don't think that it's it's exactly the same, but it sure seems like Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane are sort of trying to get the same sort of thing out of Bo, where they have a child who is missing, right, or or a, mm -hmm. a, a member of their family who's gone, and they're trying to use the relationship with Bo to fill a void somehow, and that oh they God. are essentially the leeches in the Bo is Afraid story that are doing something similar to the Bob Hoskins character. It's like you said, it's not the exact same, but I think in terms of their relationship to the main character, it kind of serves a similar purpose. It's just a little bit different of a twist. Do you agree with that at all, or am I, like, way off on that, you think? Dude, now that you, now that you describe it that way, I was, I was trying to figure out how that kind of fit together, and yeah. that explanation is as good as any I can think of, because yeah. they've got, number one, they've got, they've got a couple of, they've got a couple of reasons for guilt, right? Number one, they've got the guilt of losing their son that was right. in the military. And that's why they let the crazy son of a bitch right, live there exactly. in his little, uh, you know, trailer. Um, and then they've got, they've also obviously got the guilt of her hitting Bo 
with her fucking car. <laughs> right. Even though that wasn't her fault. You know, Bo was right. just out running naked in the street because, you know, he was trying to get away from a, a, a fucking cop that went overboard, like trying exactly. to shoot him thinking he was the, the greasy strangler, so to speak. That's now. right. <laughs> <With a knife. laughs> Classic. So, uh, yeah, lots of guilt there. And, yes, they're pulling him in. Oh, my God, dude, now that you mention it, not only did they bring him into their house, they put him in their sweet little daughter's bed right. with all the K-pop posters on the wall and right. all, all the little stuffed animals right. everywhere. And just the softest, sweetest, nicest little place. You nailed it, brother. I think you just hit that one right on the head. Yeah, I, so, I see them totally as the, as the uh, Hoskins character. So I, th I think there's something to that. They're getting a lot out of that. I think, and, and so another connection I was trying to make. So in The Wall, Pink has fantasies about him as essentially a fascist dictator at a concert, right? And that Basically he is, Hitler, right? Exactly. And he is the supreme uh, being. He is in control of the environment and... This is his ultimate dream. Now, I think in the Pink story, for me, he becomes that because his experiences are so are so negative and so bad throughout his life, right? So his fantasy is to become that. Whereas Bo's fantasy is to, you know, be happy, have a family, grow old, and then die. Three sons, right? Right, right. And while they're... Again, I don't think that... Bo is Afraid is a remake of The Wall. I think that it is a framework, though, for what Ari Aster wanted to do with Bo is Afraid. I think that he took some of the, the broad strokes and colored them in with his own palette, you know? And I think this is an example of that, where, you know, I don't know that The Wall necessarily has a five-act structure, and the story is a little bit loose. The movie holds together fine, but it's, it's not... A, again, I think there's some some metaphorical stuff, you know, and it's not necessarily A to B to C to D. I think it jumps around a bit there. But sure, sure. in in Bo, I just saw the the sort of theatrical performance on stage. It's it well, it's a direct analog to the, the, the Pink Floyd side of it because he's doing the same thing. He's performing on a stage. The Absolutely, difference is yeah. Pink takes it to, you know, he his he's on a power trip. Whereas Bo wants to just kind of live a, a good life. So I, I saw a little bit of comparison there as well. Whether it was conscious or not, I, I don't know, you know. Um, but just something something interesting that I, I thought was going on there. Um, and then, you know, obviously everything that happens at the ending, we, we kind of talked that through. The Parker Posey character. Um, I think that the fact that he reconnects with her sleeps with her and then she dies that happens to one of pink's i don't know if it's one of his groupies or his girlfriend it's kind of i don't know if it's a little bit nebulous there or maybe i'm misinterpreting it but like, maybe it's his ex-wife even i think it is his ex-wife isn't it isn't there like an allusion to them being married i think yeah the red the redhead right yeah, yeah. And his and his mother was also a bit of a redhead, and yes. you've noticed that the mother in Bo is Afraid is a redhead. Right, right. It can't so, be a coincidence, can it? I, I think there are too many. I think there are too many coincidences for them to be coincidences. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is a very conscious uh, interpretation of what Astor, I don't know, thinks about 
about this, you know, and his his feelings on sure. his relationship maybe with his own mother or his sort of complicated feelings around families and 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 maybe even you know uh fame itself the, the little bit that he has as a director of these successful movies you know um but yeah i just you know not to let's put the car before the horse too much but this just seems like one of those things that if you know what it is then bo is afraid becomes i i think like an auteur level I, I don't know. Masterpiece might be too strong of a word. I've only seen it twice, but it is it is just it's my kind of movie, you know. You get to a place where there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. The metaphors are really fascinating. It gives you a lot to think about. And it's the kind of movie that you walk away from at the end really needing to think about what you just saw and and really kind of making up your mind and and taking a stand one way or the other, and it's kind of exactly the sort of film I want to see when I go to the movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lance, before we, we start, you know, pushing this thing towards a conclusion here, other thoughts about the movie in general, um, in terms of like the, the other performances or, or score standouts or anything like that? Well, I mean, one thing that we absolutely can't ignore, right? And and this is one of the big centerpieces of what makes these two movies so similar. Uh, Bo has no father figure, okay? Right. Pink has no father figure. Both fathers were lost through in, intense trauma. Mm. Now, whether that be that Bo's father really did die the very first time he came inside of a woman right probably not <laughs> probably did not she, I, what did you get from it did he did she lock him in the in the attic for a while until he died or that's I, that's really bizarre to i it's hard to say there was some kind of trauma i think so she might have murdered him truthfully my read on that was after i i thought about it because obviously in the moment you're just like what the fuck am i looking at um I think that she's she's a successful businesswoman, right? Like that's clear. Yeah. She's obviously wealthy. She has a nice house. She's able to pay for his apartment. She's she's doing very well, and she seems to be well uh, well respected at least. And all and all those medications she gave him it, over the years to to keep him healthy and clean. Exactly. And keep him exactly. away from those those nasty nasty girls. Right. That's right. Um, I couldn't help but think about Maud from The Big Lebowski, whose okay. whole objective in that movie that you don't even know until you, you finish the movie is that she wants a child and she doesn't want the father to be anybody that she knows socially. So she sleeps with the dude with the okay. hopes that she gets pregnant, right? And sure. the, the feeling that I got from Bo's mother is that she was a really like self-driven, determined woman who was going to get what she wanted. And maybe what she wanted was a one-night stand with somebody so that she could ah, have a son. Okay. And the maybe not I, quite as sinister as I thought then. Well, I think sinister in 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 a different way, right? Because okay. she just again incredibly driven um, businesswoman. I, I think that it stacks up that she is incredibly domineering. We know that emotionally she has a lot of control over Bo, but I think also maybe she wanted a child, but she wanted it on her terms, and she didn't want any outside interference. And sure. the fact that 
the you know father figure or the symbol for the father figure the gigantic mm-hmm. dick in the attic <laughs> was hiding up there and was repressed okay kind of tells me that she didn't want any male influence on this kid and she felt like she could do a better job because the world is so harsh and 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 all that so that that was the read that i got it it might not be correct. I might need to watch it a few more times, and I missed a couple of details. I, but I, I don't think there is a correct or incorrect read on this movie, Jack. I think that's right. what makes it such a great film. Yeah, yeah. You right. know, that was the feel that I got. But I don't know the uh, the murder the murder aspect is interesting too because of course you know hide him in the attic. A well, lot of fucked up things yeah. have happened in attics in Ari Aster movies. <laughs> you know, so well you you know me, dude. You know my thoughts on Midsommar that 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 was not a murder suicide. That, right. that was simply murder. Right, right. Because <laughs> Pele, Pele had a lot more going on, and and I think that that um, I think that my my opinion on that is that, that that group that Pele was involved in had a lot more influence in the yeah. United States than maybe we thought they did. But that's a talk for another time. Sure, um, sure. So to get to the part, all right. Let me get to one part, Jack, that I don't want to forget. So, yeah. okay. So when his mother is dead, right? And she's officially dead. And it's conveniently there's no face in the open casket, so you can't tell whether that was her or not. Although, you, as you, of course, they alluded to later, he did notice a birthmark. So it was proven that that wasn't really Mother's body. Exactly. But when he's walking around the house, and you've got the bread music playing, the real chilled-out music from bread, yeah. and he's got all the posters, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, all the different medications that she kept him on. Mm-hmm. Don't you think Mother was keeping him comfortably numb? Oh, absolutely. All this time? Absolutely. So that, dude, this that's another just fucking straight-on homage to The Wall. I, I yeah. would not say that Ari Aster ripped off The Wall, but I, I, if I were to sit down, and if you and I could sit down with Ari Aster and have a couple of beers or a coffee with him, right? And if we honestly asked him, have you ever seen Pink Floyd The Wall? And he said no. I think we could both call him a liar. Well, I have to think that if we sat there and asked him that question, hopefully he would just turn and smile and shake his head. And then you'd be like, all right, man. All right. You've got it, sir. But, but yeah. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of like you said. Um, you know, we still have a few months to go this year. There's a Scorsese movie coming out. I'm sure you know how I feel about Scorsese. And, you know, I've, I've, I've really loved a couple of movies that have come out this year. But this one has really stayed in my head. Um, I, I feel like it's probably going to stick around in my top five. And unless the next few months have some real barn burners, you know. Um, sure, sure. We'll have to see how that goes. But, yeah, just a, I don't know... A, movie that I feel like not enough people have seen. I know the three-hour runtime scares folks, but you can always pause a movie and come back the next day. You know, that's if that's Absolutely. the only way you can watch it, everybody's busy and, you know, we're all living our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. So, um, so yeah. You know, this is usually the part of the show, Lance, where uh, we throw out some letter grades because it is movie homework. So uh, we don't go one to ten. We go uh, from an A-plus to an F. Um, I... Uh, I think I'll go first on this, if uh, unless you have anything else you want to add before we start throwing these these ratings out. No, no, this this is great, man. We've covered a lot. We've covered Excellent. a lot. Excellent. All right. So I'll start it off. Um, so I've seen this movie twice. 
and it's actually made me want to watch it a third time. Uh, I love The Wall. Uh, it's I saw The Wall performed at Fenway in 2012. It's oh, wow. the greatest <laughs> thing I have ever seen in my life in terms of did live they play, shows. Did they play uh, Sweet Caroline in the middle <laughs> of the movie? No, man. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This was Roger Waters' The Wall. Like, it was it was the live show. Oh, the live show. Gotcha. Yes, yes, gotcha. yes. Okay. Um, so it was it was incredible. I, I It's not fair to call it just a concert. It was a show. It was like, unlike anything I've ever seen, you know? Um, nice. So it's, it's amazing. But... Um, I've loved that for a long time, and the fact that somebody had the balls to make a movie, in basically an art house film, an A24 three-hour movie, that is essentially their take on the wall. I, I'm I have so much more respect for Ari Aster now than I did six months ago. You know, it's just oh wow, okay. so totally on my wavelength. I love the choice. Um, I'm close to loving this movie. I think... I think it's a very strong... Very strong... I think it's an A- minus for me. I think it's an A-. Minus. Nice. It's not... Nice. I, I don't know that I can call it a masterpiece. I don't know that I can call it a favorite yet. But I feel like it's on the road okay. to there. You know, so it's pretty close. Um, not bad. So what do, you, what do you think, Lance? So Hereditary for me was a just a straight up A plus, like for for a director's first film ever. I, I yeah. was so blown away with that, and just upon rewatch, it 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 only gets better. It, sure. it truly it only gets better. Um, Midsummer A plus. Um, the guys didn't agree with me as much, but uh, actually Midsummer is I would say is my favorite of his three so far. This this one's an easy A. Um, I, the fact that I loved it so much more in the second viewing really says a lot, Jack. So, I mean, there's room to move. My favorite film of the year so far is also an A24 film, but it's, uh, speak to me. Oh, talk to me. This one or talk to me. Yeah. Talk to me. Uh, the Australian film. Have you Mm. seen that one yet? I have. Yeah. (laughs) What'd you think? I thought it was interesting. I, uh, I I do have some questions about it, but I I'm I'm kind of looking forward to a second watch on that one. So yeah, that's that's the second, third, fourth watch. But uh, just to give you an idea of how much I love comedy, my second favorite movie of the year so far is Renfield. So there you go. All right, nice, <laughs> <laughs> very nice. All right, so that, that's that's pretty respectable. A from yourself, A minus from myself. Um, that's that's pretty high praise. Um, I would say if you have not, if, you know, if you didn't care about the spoilers and you listen to this episode, you should really go watch Bo is Afraid. I think it's well worth your time. And if you like Bo is Afraid, absolutely watch Pink Floyd's The Wall if you're unfamiliar with it. At least listen to the album. And if you're going to listen to the album, listen to the live one on the Is There Anybody Out There uh, box set. Because that is, that's the preferred version. That's just, that's where it's at. But... Um, all right, Lance, as far as uh, where everybody can find you, where, where, where can we hear more from uh, you and the Horror Returns Network? Oh, man, just check out our website, thehorrorreturns.com. Um, you know, we got a Facebook group and all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, we're, we're on all the major podcast platforms. We do it through Podbean. So, like, if you go to Apple Podcast or anything else, search for The Horror Returns and you're there. And we also, by the way, do action movies and wrestling, just so you know. Nice. 
Very nice. <laughs> All right. Um, and as far as myself, uh, well, if you're on the movie homework feed, you know, uh, we're still here, binge movie homework at gmail.com. You can find myself on Facebook. We've got the Binge Media Group. And, uh, you know, keep an eye on the Patreon. Uh, things may be happening there pretty soon. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see. But definitely have more content coming your way. And, uh, yeah, Lance, I'm really glad we could carve out some time to talk about this. It's been in the works for a little while. Uh, it was well worth, I think, both of our time. And, uh, yeah, this was awesome, man. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Been a long time coming since we first saw the movie, I think. We both noticed it, so there yeah. you go. Really good stuff. All right, that's it for myself. I'm saying peace. Thank you for listening to Movie Homework, a Binge Media production. Follow the Binge Media Podcast Network at bingemedia.com, patreon.com slash bingemedia, or wherever you get podcasts. Got a movie suggestion? An award suggestion? Send us an email at bingemoviehomework at gmail.com. Bingemovie.